Father, we give you thanks for the book of Acts, and we give you thanks for Luke, who wrote everything down that Peter and John and the Apostle Paul were involved in, and Barnabas and Silas, and just the testimony that is laid before us of how the church began and how it came to be as we know it today. This is the groundwork we understand, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to remember it, just burn it into our minds, all the things that have taken place. And briefly, Lord, as we go through it, I I would ask that you would give us insight as to what we can do today as we relate to the book of Acts and how we can be faithful to your word and follow the examples that are given to us in this book. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 1 dealt with the ascension of Jesus. This is where he uh, ascended to heaven on the Mount of Olives. And then chapter 2 dealt with the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 were saved that day. Chapter 3, Peter and John healing a crippled man at the gate beautiful and God, God establishing his word through the apostles. Chapter 4, Peter and John being brought before the Sanhedrin were warned against preaching Jesus. Uh, believers were also sharing everything that they had in common. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, remember they lied to God, and because of that, God had judged them. Chapter 6, choosing the seven deacons in the church, which Stephen was one of them. In chapter 7, he was stoned to death after he was preaching to his own people, the Jews. They couldn't stand it anymore. Chapter 8, the persecution of the church. And it being scattered and going up to Antioch, chapter 9, the conversion of Saul, 10 and 11, the gospel going to the Gentiles, and specifically the household of of Cornelius, where it became acceptable for a Jew to have fellowship and a meal with somebody who was a Gentile, which previously that was not permitted. In chapter 12, the miraculous escape of Peter from prison, 13 and 14, Barnabas and Saul are sent out on their first missionary journey. Chapter 15, the council of the apostles and elders learning that adherence to the law of Moses is no longer necessary. Chapter 16 through 18, Paul and Silas go on the second missionary journey. There we have Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. Chapters 19 through 23, we have Paul's third missionary journey where Paul is arrested by the Jews and the Romans and put on trial. And there was a plot to kill Paul by 40 assassins, which took an oath. Chapters 40, or 24 through uh, 26, Paul appears before Felix, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice. And we've been covering all that. Chapter 27, Paul sets out for Rome and is shipwrecked along the way. And that's where we're picking it up. And I described to you the shipwreck and the storm and the storm lasting 14 days. And this storm that we're having now is four days. And it's going to seem like that's a long time. Imagine for two weeks. And I told you then it was more than likely demonically inspired to just really... Paul, you need to die already, according to Satan. Just didn't want him alive and being a witness. And so uh, the Lord told Paul and encouraged him and everyone on board the ship that they're going to survive. It's going to be okay. All 270 plus people are going to make it to the island of Malta when it seemed that all was going to be lost. And for, like I said, 14 days or two weeks on the open ocean. And I described what that was like. And, of course, they landed on Malta. Now, Malta is 17 miles long by 9 miles wide. It's not a very big island. If you were to go over here to San Clemente Island, it's 21 miles long and 4 miles wide. And it's just a little bit smaller. And, by the way, if you go down to the beach, you cannot see San Clemente Island. But I will give you a hint. If you go out to Point Loma, 
And right, and one of the streets that crests right over the top of Point Loma, you can see San Clemente Island because it's like 49 miles off the coast and you can only see 25 miles straight out. But if you get on top of Point Loma, you can actually see the island out there. And it's directly out from the port of San Diego if you're to take a boat out there. And it's a small island, and the military is on that island. And the island of Malta was a small island, and there was maybe a few thousand people on there. But all of a sudden, they had an increase of population of 270 people. 270 people come to your island, small island. You have small buildings and houses and things like that. Where are you going to store all these people? that come onto your island. And of course, they were washed up, and it's rainy, it's cold. All they have are the clothes on their back. Have you ever been in the open ocean with no clothes on? Try to get out there with some clothes on, and you're trying to stay afloat. And if you're holding on to something, it is going to be a perilous time for you to get from the ocean into the bay. And if you look at this bay on Malta, and I encourage you to do that, it's called Paul's Bay. This is, they know where Paul came ashore with all 270 plus individuals there. And when they came ashore, the inhabitants of the island said, we got to do something for these guys. And so they brought together, they started making fires and they brought them food and probably some dry clothes. And as they were sitting there on the beach, maybe they started to filter them off into some of the buildings that were there. And remember, Paul picked up a bunch of scrub and he was going to bring it over and start a fire with it. And what happened to him? You guys recall the story? He got bit by a snake, a venomous snake. Now, that's one of the things that we enjoy here. In the United States, at least in California, how many things are going to kill you in San Diego besides people? And how many things are out there that will actually destroy your life? You know, we fear uh, black widow spiders or some scorpions or tarantulas that are out there. And then there's the rattlesnake. You know, we have some rattlesnakes and we might run across those things or the dreaded centipede. But really, they're not going to kill you. It's going to make your life really bad. But on this island, there is a snake, an adder, or uh, some type of reptile that bit him. And, of course, he didn't die. And the people considered him a god, little g, that he was able to overcome the venomous bite of the snake. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story here. In chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. What would we call this today? Karma, right? We'd say this, this is karma. You did something wrong, so something evil is going to come your way. You know what that really is? Superstition. I can't believe how many people in the world are thinking things like this. Like, don't speak it into existence. Don't let it come across your lips because something might happen. Don't jinx it. That's all superstition. Every single bit of it. 
is something that is made up to cause fear in you and in I. And you can just wash all that away. Nothing is going to happen to you that God hasn't already foreordained that will take place in your life. So you don't have to worry or fret. When something bad comes along, like you get bit by a viper, just go, (laughs) oh, well. And you go to the emergency room and you get it taken care of or a rattlesnake or a spider bite, whatever it might be. Whatever calamity is there, God has foreordained it. So it's not this idea that there is karma in the world that is just coming back to attack you. Now, going on. It's doing strange things here again. Uh, Verse 5. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. Now, how much personal affliction did Paul go through in his life? All you have to do is read the book of Acts. In Second Corinthians chapter 11, everything that he went through, and every time he said, oh, well, you know, after getting stoned, Dead, I believe God revived him, as I told you last week. He gets up and goes, okay, let's go. You know, probably wiping off the blood from his face and his head. You know, if you get a head wound like that, it just bleeds all over the place. And they're probably helping wiping him off, the disciples that were with him. And they just continued on. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he's one that could write that. So when we have that difficulty come in and just say, okay, it's time to get up and continue with the work, whatever that is that the Lord sets before us. Now, who sent the snake? You think about that. Was the snake there just by happenstance? Or did God send the snake to bite Paul so that he might not die and he could be healed of that so he could witness to the people? In the scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Satan sent the serpent or if God sent the venomous snake. It doesn't matter because God used that incident no matter who caused it to happen. And by the way, calamity can come to us by the hand of the Lord. We consider it calamity. He considers it refining. It's just your perspective on this. None of you guys have ever been refined like that, I'm sure, right? Never had difficulty in your life where you've had to, you know, what am I going to do from here? You just go, oh, well, the Lord knows. It's his problem. It's not my problem. I'll just be faithful to serve him as I continue in this life. And that's what Paul did. So it doesn't matter who sent the snake. Now, recall the Old Testament. Remember this guy by the name of Joseph? Remember after they were brought down to Egypt and the brothers found out who Joseph was and he was the head of all of Egypt and then Jacob dies. And what did the brothers start to do? They panicked. They panicked because of what they did to Joseph previously, sold him into slavery. They were really nervous and they tried to appeal to Joseph, say, Joseph, remember what dad said, you know, just take care of us. Please, please don't harm us. And this is what he said. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. That's why these things happen to us. We are not outside of God's hand that he does not care for us, but we must allow him to work in us. Now going on, 
Here, Paul was just being a servant, and there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. So the leader of the island, the guy who is in charge over there, came to Paul and he put him up in his house. Now, Publius derives the origin of that word, means popular or first. So Publius was popular and he was well liked by the people there. Now, it is believed by tradition that Publius became the first bishop of Malta. And, of course, by tradition, Jerome records that he was martyred for his faith. So Paul, if this is the same guy, had such an influence on him that he became a leader in the church. That's, what, that's why God brought him to the island to be met by Publius, who would bring him into the house, and then Paul would be able to witness to him. But there's more to this. His father, in verse 8, was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went out to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So he's spending three months there on the island. Anybody who was sick on the island, they were cured by Paul being there. God wanted everybody on the island to get the gospel. So Paul had to be shipwrecked, go through the ocean 14 days, land on the island, get bit, go to Publius's house, have the father get sick, he prays for the father, and then the whole island goes, wow, who is this guy? He must be, quote unquote, a little God. And I'm sure he corrected that. And he said, no, it's Jesus Christ is the one who's doing this. And what an impact. 95% of the island, even to this day, is considered Christian. That's the lasting effect that he had. Now, you might think some incident that happens to you is small and insignificant. But if you reach one person through some kind of hardship that happens to you, you don't know years down the road how that's going to work out. You just be faithful in the little things. And when the kingdom comes, God will make you faithful and much or allow you to be faithful and much. So going on here. Sorry, this is doing it again. I'm going to have to change this. Uh, Verse 12. Nope. Thank you. It's like my screen here, it just pops up and the keyboard comes up. and I I don't know what's going on. Maybe I have to reload it. Okay, so going on. Verse 10. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Then, this is after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island, and it was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. Now, these things are mentioned on purpose. It seems like just trivial information. Daryl, could you put up that first map that goes from Malta? The Regium. Now, this is the route that they took. And I want to encourage you again to look up the Bay of Paul in the island of Malta, and you'll see where he actually spent uh, the morning uh, or the evening on the sand there, and they're being ministered to by the people. And then, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island in the Alexandrian ship. Remember, these, these are grain haulers. These are big ships. 
And the other one that I explained to you was 149, uh, yeah, 149 feet long and I forget how wide, uh, 40 feet, I don't know, 60 feet wide, something like that. But that's the type of ship that they got on. Now, on the front of the ship are going to be these twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux, are, are you guys familiar with the constellation Orion? Now, if you can find Orion in the sky and you know what the constellation looks like and it has a belt and he's holding out a shield it looks like with it no he's holding out a shield with his left hand and his right hand is up like this and i can't tell what he has in his hand but if you go from his left foot to the right hand that's up in the air and you keep on going you come to another constellation this constellation has two stars these stars are called castor and pollux it is gemini it is the constellation Gemini. And the seafaring people at that time, they would look to those stars as they first set on the horizon after the new year and a new moon. They knew that sailing was going to be more favorable after that. So they would look to Gemini to figure out when sailing would be okay for them. And on the front of the ship, they had two images of Castor and Pollux because they were considered to be two good gods for the seafaring navy or the seafaring merchants which were out there. And so they were honoring them. That was idolatry. That's what they were doing with that. Now, these two Castor and Pollux, uh, they assisted, and maybe you'll remember this. Now, we're going to go way back in the way back machine. Remember Jason and the Argonauts? Remember that movie? It was the first like claymation, if you're old enough to remember that, and the evil Cyclops, which would be out there, and Castor and Pollux were in that movie assisting Jason and the Argonauts. And there's a whole history behind this. Like Jason, or excuse me, not Jason, but Castor and Pollux, they were twin brothers. And according to Greek mythology, how did the twin brothers come about? Well, Castor was conceived by the king of Sparta. He was a Spartan king, but then Zeus showed up and he raped the mother of the two of them and they both conceived at that time and they were born. And one was a demigod, immoral, or immortal, immortal, and the other one was just a mortal being. Castor was mortal and Pollux was immortal. And later on, just giving you some fill in here, Pollux wanted to share his immortality with his brother Castor. And, and so these two were always honored on the front of this ship. They're saying, hopefully Castor and Pollux give us good seas out there as we get out there. And so that's the ship that Paul got on. Now, I could see Paul being on the high seas for a while, start to mention Castor and Pollux. You want to use the things around you to be a witness? And he could say, now, you may think these are gods, but let me tell you about the one true God. And you use stuff like that to witness to people. If you see, to give you an example, um, this last week in the youth group, we were talking about things that are permissible and things that are not permissible. And one of the kids in there, he was telling me this book he was reading, and it was really had to do with the dark arts. And I said, why are you doing that? You know, you just want to get away, get away from that. And, and we had a conversation about that, and it came up that he had a dream catcher. I said, no, you have this dream catcher in your room. And he goes, yeah, and no, I'm not taking it down. I said, okay, you don't have to take it down. But what is it 
that you have there? What, what is that dream catcher for? And where did it originate? Not that you're using it for that, but what do you think about that? And of course, we had a discussion about that. I said, you know, I'm going to Africa. What if I bring back some wood carven faces that some of the natives over in Africa use in their rituals and their um, paganism? What if I take those and I put those up on the wall of my house? What would you think of me if I did that? And of course, conversation ensued about what's permissible, what's not permissible. And I said, everything is permissible for you, but not everything is expedient. And so this, this idea that we can do what we want or we can use things like that, whether I had images on my wall of these faces that come from Africa and their superstitions over there, or if somebody has a Buddha in their house, I had asked him, I said, would you put a Buddha in your house? Would you have that there? Even though you don't believe in Buddhism, would you have a Buddhist statue in your house? And of course, they get a little sarcastic. Could I have a fat one? You know what I mean? It's like, so look, we're just talking about what's acceptable and not acceptable and how you can use those things in the lives of others as a roadmap to get to spiritual things and tell them about Christ. You, be, you can become adept in doing this. Just look for the chances when you meet somebody or you're invited somewhere with them. So that's the story of Castor and Pollux and, of course, the constellation Gemini. Now, going on in verse 12. And by the way, they had been using that 4,000 years before Christ, it is said, to navigate by those two stars which are up there. Verse 12 says, We put in Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Pudioli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Now, if, if somebody was a believer, how far would you go to meet them, to welcome them? Would you go down to the airport and pick them up? Probably. Would you go to L.A. airport to pick them up? Maybe. Would you go to Ventura to pick them up? No, maybe not. Would you go Bakersfield? Would you go up to Yosemite? Would you go that far to greet them and bring them down? It was 145 miles from Rome down to where Paul was. And they traveled 100 miles to go see Paul from the Forum of Appius as well as three taverns. And so it's 100 miles from where Paul was going up to the form of Appius and from the three taverns, it was an additional uh, 35 miles. And from there to Rome is an additional 10 miles. And these guys accompanied them. And it's like they, they found out that Paul was coming. Now, how did this happen? I'm sure they were sending letters. And Paul had not been to Rome. And yet there were believers in Rome. So all the work that he was doing in Greece and Pamphylia and that, that whole Asia Minor area, those people took the gospel and went over to Rome. And there were believers, or excuse me, Italy. There were believers in Italy already. And then Paul goes and spends a couple of years in Rome. And of course, we know from there the church was planted and it went worldwide. Now it goes on. It says, at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now, could you show the other picture up there, Daryl, please? 
Now this is kind of the route that was taken. You can see the little line up there, how they walked the rest of the way. And again, the total trek was about 145 miles for them to get to Rome. And I'm sure most of it, or all of it, was on foot. I doubt if there were any wagons carrying them, unless the um, Roman soldiers were able to commandeer some of those. That might have been the case. But how far would you walk in order to do God's will to get the gospel out and be a witness? You know, the, the opportunities that are before us, and sometimes we just turn them down because we don't want to put in, quote-unquote, every effort to make your calling and election sure, to make sure that you're growing in the grace of Christ. And Paul is our example. He just says, hey, whatever it takes, just be faithful, and God will open doors and just walk through them. Now, verse 17, three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people and against the custom of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any change or any charge to bring against my own people. In other words, he had done nothing wrong. The Romans wanted to release him. He had nothing against his own people. But because of their opposition to him, he had to appeal to Caesar. Verse 20. For this reason... I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with these chains. Now, this is before the diaspora in Rome where the Caesar kicked out all the Jews uh, from Rome. And that was part of the persecution of the Jews after the rejection of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 20. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of the brothers who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. I think that was by design. I think God intended Paul to be able to speak freely to the Jews that were in Rome without being interfered with the Jews writing a letter from Judea or from Jerusalem. And it says in verse 22, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So remember, Paul was sent first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And as he gets to the Rome or to Rome, he goes to the synagogue and talks first to the Jew. And of course, later on, we know that he talks to the Gentiles. They arrange to meet Paul on a certain day. So this is the second day. The first day, Paul meets with them and says, hey, I got some news for you guys. The second day came and they set up this meeting and it says and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying from morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of god and tried to convince them about jesus from the law of moses and from the prophets some were convinced by what he says but others what does it say there would not believe it they could have believed but they just decided i'm not going to believe and he started probably from genesis do you guys know any verses in genesis that would lead you to believe that their messiah is going to come you know like in the garden after the fall that jesus was there and he made the sacrifice and there's prophecy given that he would have his heel bruised but 
Jesus would crush his head? I'm sure he started in Genesis. And he went all the way through. And the God of Abraham showed up. And he talked with Abraham and, he, and told Abraham that he'd have all these children. Well, who was that? And that was a theophany in the Old Testament. That was Jesus showing up. And in the book of Judges, he could have gone through the book of Judges. And of course, Jesus shows up as a theophany or Christophany in the book of Judges a couple of times. And, and then you go through the rest, you know, go through the book of Kings and how uh, Solomon was talked to by God himself. And you, you just go through all of this and you go through the book of Isaiah and you go through the Psalms 22 and you go through the minor prophets and how Jesus was destined to show up. And Paul gave him this huge Bible study. And there were many who were convinced, but there were many who said, no, I'm not going to believe it. Now, going on in verse 25, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Did you recently see the news reports of what was going on with the Hasidic Jews in New York? how they were in a synagogue and there's some factions of the Jews in New York and so they're prohibited from building in certain areas and what they did is they made this tunnel between one building to another building and they were having, uh, they had a, um, a mikvah, uh, a, a baptismal there and they had some kids programs and stuff and they went through this secret tunnel and these cement trucks showed up because they had been found out and they're gonna fill in the tunnel with cement. And if you saw the news reports, how these Hasidic Jews reacted to the police that were there. And it's almost like it was when Paul was speaking at the temple and the Jews went in an uproar. They're probably grabbing dirt and throwing it in the air and their arms are going up and they're yelling and they're screaming. Well, they were doing this very same thing in New York when the police showed up and the Jews are saying, what are you doing to us here? Oh, and they're just mad. And the police are saying, hey, we don't do this in this country. We don't dig from one building to another and, and just commandeer that other building. And the guys were just going nuts. They were tearing down the tape. They they were yelling at the police officers. They were just going around and, and doing whatever they wanted to do. We're not listening to the authorities there. Just like when Paul was experiencing the same thing at the Temple Mount. And I was just going, wow. And those Jews, by the way, I found out that those Jews don't really hold real strictly to the law of Moses. They hold to the Kabbalah, which is uh, Jewish mysticism. And if they're just way off and they are just as stubborn and obnoxious those these Jews the Hasidic Jews in New York that were at the synagogue just as stubborn as and obnoxious as the Jews were in the Old Testament and it's like if you see that and you go wow they're still the same not all Jews are still the same some of these sects are still the same. And Jesus would end up showing up today going, why are you so stiff-necked and stubborn? And they were. And that's why they wouldn't believe because they were stiff-necked and stubborn. So 
there are those who would give the gospel and those who would receive it and those who would reject it and say, no, I'm not going to do it. The majority of the people, if you have a chance to talk to them, will simply say, no, I don't want to follow Christ. And of course, if we go back where I started with the world, the world wants you to believe something that's not true. We come along with scripture and reason and say, no, this is truth. And truth is what comports or aligns with reality. But there are those who would want us to believe, no, that's not reality. This is reality. And they, they tell you things to deceive you. To give you a small example of this, somebody wanted me to believe something that wasn't true, but I was going to benefit. And who was that? It was Netflix. They sent me a text and they said, you're going to be upgraded. <laughs> oh, yay for me. And I thought, how am I going to be upgraded? We're going to give you the same service and we're going to give you commercials too. And I thought to myself, you're going to upgrade me and give me commercials. And I thought, you sly, you, you use this language to give me to believe. And I get it through our cell service, you know, it's just given to us for free. And they're going to do this favor for me and upgrade me. When I try to watch things that I don't have commercials, and that's why I pay for it. And then they say, but if you don't want the commercials, you can pay us more. It's like, oh, I've been upgraded. You know, that, that's so great. And that's just on a small scale. But there are people in the world who would think, this is an upgrade. No, it's not an upgrade. It's causing the world to fall into derision, derision, and it's causing the world to fight with one another. Just look around the world. It is in chaos today, and it's just going to degrade even more. So those people who do not want to believe, it's because the enemy has blinded them. But through prayer, sometimes you can pierce the veil. And one of the biggest reasons people do not want to accept Jesus and the salvation that he offers is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ of those who are being saved and to those who are perishing, or, and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. When you bring the gospel, some people smell death. They are confronted with their own mortality and they don't even want to think about it. And so they reject the gospel goes on verse 30 and 31 for two whole years paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of god and taught about the lord jesus christ so this was a circuitous route to get to rome but he eventually was there for two years he was a witness and of course we know that he was released after this in 62 a.d but two short years later he was rearrested and he was martyred for his faith where he would say to second timothy chapter 4 verse 7 i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith so to apply all this first the path to our glorification is not a straight one just look at the hardship that paul went through his entire ministry being shipwrecked three times stone assassins were pursuing him and beatings that he suffered secondly there were those who would not believe because they did not accept the written word of God as delivered. And we need to know that word to deliver it properly. Third, there will be those who will try to convince you to turn away from the truth and believe a lie. Like there is not a God. There is no salvation. There's no ultimate truth. And there is no life after death. And fourth, 
my prayer for all of you is that you'll be able to stand against the deception of the world and receive the salvation that Jesus offers by asking him to save you from your sins. For there is nothing greater of greater benefit in this life or in the next life than knowing Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we give you so much thanks for Paul. He did so much and you used him so greatly. And his reward has not yet finished being piled up. May you bless his words in our hearing. May you have him be our example as well as Jesus of what it is to persevere for you, Father. And help us not to shrink back once we put our hands to the plow. Help us to keep looking forward. Provide for us the opportunities to witness to others. And if we doubt, Lord, any of us in here, our salvation, may we just call out to you and ask you once again to save us from our sins. We thank you for this gift, this gift of life eternally. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, please stand.